Now we good? Yep. <laughs> Don't look at me like that. So this is not an ASMR podcast. Yeah, we're also not sponsored by Taco Bell, so <laughs> I'm trying to get that out of the way. Oh my god. But if they wanted to. I mean, for reals though. <laughs> ghosts like tacos. Do do they? I mean I like tacos, so I'm just gonna You're just gonna pop the top off of that? Because <laughs> otherwise it's gonna yeah, I guess so. That does make sense. Once you pop, the fun don't stop. But hey, now we've got a table back here so we can put stuff on. It actually is very convenient. It is. <laughs> it's very convenient. Why'd you say it like that? That was kind of terrifying. Ship what my was... pants. Okay, I know you said ship, ship. but I know what I heard. <laughs> ship my pants. Ship my pants right here. Oh my god, it's too close to home for me though. <laughs> and I don't mean just because we're in my house. I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to flip back over here. Will you talk again for me? One, two, one, two. Okay, just one sec. Okay. Four. Okay, that's better. I just needed your, <clears throat> I needed your gain to go up just a hair. What'd you call just me? Just a hair. It's funny because I I literally on Wednesday when I went to the radio station, uh, we were joking on the air because uh, we were talking about how Lafon wouldn't get the mic closer to her mouth at first, mm-hmm. and I said I was talking about how like I always want to as someone who's been a sound technician at multiple times in my life. Um, I always want to teach people how to use a microphone. Yeah. Because they never get near enough to it. Like me, our first few episodes. Yeah. <laughs> or, <Hi. laughs> right, it's either that or they they want to talk like this into it and then you're really only getting a partial sound. Now, if you do it right, you can talk next to it and you don't get as many pops. Yeah. No. If you do it right. N- not necessarily. Also depends on what kind of microphone it is. That's what I was going to say. Most microphones that you're going to find... In settings like, uh, you know, just being a guest on a radio show, these microphones, microphones like I have in the theater, they're not omnidirectional. They are monodirectional. So they are only going to really pick up sound from one direction. Yeah, they can sort of over here, but it's not going to work well. So we were just joking about that on the air and I was using words like gain and stuff. And I realized and I said to Josh, this is great content for people who may not know what we're talking about. <laughs> oh my gosh. Also, Charles, we didn't light the spooky candle. Who? Where's the... Uh, where's the fire? It's on the pegboard over there. I can't get it. Because we know if I get up and I cross over amongst all this, I'm going to knock it over. It, that almost went into Game of Thrones. I don't know what I was doing. Light that fire. Isn't that a song? Like, come on, baby, light my fire. I'm keeping this in because this is too funny. Oh, my God. Are you struggling? Okay, you that third way to go. This candle's also like two years. This candle is old as the podcast, so. Yeah, didn't we get it like the second episode when we moved down here? Yes, because it smelled weird. 
It smelled like a basement. <laughs> yeah, it smelled weird. And it doesn't really smell weird anymore. Well, it's because... We're down here a lot. We're down here more, and... I mean, there's stations down here. There's the podcast area. There's the t-shirt press. There's the cricket area. There's the paint area. There's the like construction area. Oh my gosh, we're like the Pinterest headquarters. We we kind of are. <laughs> and so we have so many different types of things down here. It's really really funny. The hyperfixation station. <laughs> the ADHD home. <laughs> That's too real. HGTV? No, ADHD TV. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Oh, well, how long has it been since we recorded? Um, recorded or or anyone's heard us? It's been a while since anyone's heard us. It's necessarily. been a while. But in both of our defenses, there were two things that happened. One, the recording from the live show just did not right. Which we're re-recording. We're going to re-record that after this. Um those same stories but it just did not no i'm i still might try to salvage some of the video but it's just not worth it at this point to try to do it Mm -mm. which that is that's live shows that's live theater like sometimes when you record live events like that it just messes up so instead of being able to upload that i've been just kind of like did you just turn your phone like off yeah because if it goes off it's gonna vibrate it's gonna oh my gosh um yeah, and then so I got sick. Then you got sick, and in the middle of you being sick, I went into tech for both the musical theater review and for Charlotte's Web. Yep. So, <laughs> which I became a character in. So, yeah, which I'm going to attempt not to cough, but I'm still. If you cough, I'll try to cut it out. Okay. Um, but if I cough, I apologize. Yeah. Doug's, not to you, but well, to the listeners. <laughs> Doug's had the not the flu. I've had the same, I think, cold, cold, crud stuff that everyone else has. It yeah. feels like, but yeah, it's just like it's a lot. It's a lot, and I, I'm I'm just trying to not because yeah. that's the thing is after today I go back into tech and run much ado about nothing for a week, mm-hmm. and then we're in finals week. Yeah, it's coming up quick. Yeah, I don't have time to be sick. No one has time to be sick. Uh, fine. Okay. I get it. <laughs> You're not special. Oh, that was rude. <laughs> but oh. we're not going to we're not going to do those same stories from that today. We are going to do new stories. Yay, new stories. And hopefully all the cameras work this time. Every, I know people have heard this and gone, where's this camera y'all talking about? I feel so bad because Michelle got very excited that one episode that we were able to get the I know, because she really wanted to watch it. When we were doing Zooms, she was like, record these. Yeah. I'm just like, I don't know, because I look raggedy up here. Oh, yeah. Well, those were rough. Those were like... Those uh, were the height of panini those were height of panini those were like height of the last semester of my grad program where i was like really going through it so no i was no no, no. neither of us were in any position to record those hopefully this works yeah we're hoping we have three cameras set up right now yeah thanks to random amazon company that asked me to review a camera for free and get it for free yeah i mean if it works, it works. Right. So we'll we'll see what happens. And if this continues to work, maybe I can rig something better up than there are three random tripods and stuff. But everything's spiked, so Yeah, I have a picture of pictures actually of Jeremy. You took multiple pictures of me crawling around on the ground. 
Yeah. This is the this is the moment where theater and like film stuff starts to cross over really heavily because mm-hmm. spiking comes from theater, but I know it's used in film. Well, it came from. It, I feel like it comes from theater because theater existed first. Well, yeah, but there's a few things in film that I don't know much about because it's not the same. You know, like I, I just I don't know. There's some of that stuff I don't know, but spiking, spiking set pieces. I know all about spiking a set piece. Been there, done that. Spiking is the act of putting tape on the ground so you know where something goes back to. Just so everyone knows. Yep. And if you run a big series of shows, like if you're in repertory and you have different shows every week, everything has a different color. When we did our senior recitals one year, it wasn't my recital, it was someone else's. It looked like a landing strip on the stage because there were four people doing their recitals and every person had a different color spike tape for their recital disco theater yeah, i mean it was wild like you if anyone could actually see on the stage it looked like a landing strip because there was also glow tape in the mix of all that oh my gosh <laughs> hope no one's colorblind <laughs> what if you were colorblind and trying to do that like and you went to the wrong we'd have to figure out a way to make it work you'd have to get very contrasting colors mm-hmm I just realized that uh, I never shared my thing with you. Oh, hey, sure. D- just go in. I was say, I can just go get it. Go into my notes. It's in my notes. Okay. Where is yours? I sent it to you, but it's also in my notes. Is it under Doug's notes? Yeah. Oh, it's the one I didn't recognize. Yeah. Okay. That, that's what I did with yours. <laughs> I was like, oh, wait, I don't think he's talked about. Okay. I'm going to assume it's this one then. Okay, why did we both put a little bit more work into our little PowerPoint presentations this week? Because if you look at them, we both put a little bit more work. Um, for me, there were just there were more pictures like I could find. Yeah, more. there were several pictures of mine too, so it was just uh, easier. Yeah, we also were doing it at the same time, <laughs> literally sitting on opposite sides of the couch, writing our stories. Yes, mm-hmm. not speaking at all. <laughs> we didn't. We no, no. I was reading. I actually, I, I didn't end up using it, but I like downloaded a book because I wanted to see if I could pull something from it. <laughs> I'm not a college professor. Not at all. Who's going first? Okay, I guess it's me because it looks like you're about to burp I wasn't die. prepared. <laughs> okay. Um. So, you ready to go the, to the shore? The what? Oh, the shore. <laughs> You're not right. Go meet Polly at the shore. I've, I've never wa- seen an episode of Jersey Shore. Me either. And it was like peak when I was in high school. People right? were all about that. So, um, but today I'm going to talk about Georgian Court University. Which I've absolutely never heard oh, of. Oh, I had never heard of it until today. So, like, there are a lot of colleges and universities in the United States, but. Sometimes when you just rattle off one of these random ones, I'm like, what is that? Mm-hmm. Um, so Georgian Court University or GCU um, or Georgian Court. As it's don't called. call it GCU. Yeah, I said that out loud too. I was like, ooh. Maybe we don't. Maybe we don't do that one. Um, but Georgian Court is a private Roman Catholic university in Lakewood Township, New Jersey. Fun fact. Um, same place, the Hindenburg. Oh, the Hindenburg exploded? Yeah. Oh. Um, but it's right on the Jersey Shore, so Ocean County. Um, 
It was founded in 1908 by the Sisters of Mercy. Um, the university has more than 1,600 undergraduates and nearly 600 graduate students. So not terribly small. Uh, no, I mean, it's pretty comparable to my institution. Yep. Um, Actually, the, it might be a little smaller. Yeah, I mean, it's not huge, but it's not tiny, tiny. Right. Um, the institution became a university in 2004 and began admitting male students in 1994 um, after almost 100 years as a women's college. Um, the university has opened students of all faiths while emphasizing its mission of mercy, which incorporates respect, justice, integrity, compassion, and service. Okay. Sounds like a pretty traditional, like, liberal arts private college. Yep. Um, the main campus is on the former summer estate um, of the millionaire George J. Gould and his wife, Edith. George J. Gould. That name sounds really familiar. Oh, we'll get there. Oh. Oh, okay. <coughs> and there goes the cough. And there goes the cough. Um, the estate was designed by Bruce Price, a New York um, architect, and was one of his most important residential works. He also designed three of the campus gardens, the Italian gardens, the sunken gardens, and the formal garden. Oh, I like the sound of a sunken garden. Right. Um, Takeo Shayoda designed the Japanese garden, which was a birthday gift to Edith from George J. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just still thinking. I know you said we'll get to it. I'm, yeah. My brain just And can't. I have some pictures of the gardens, so oh, okay. you can kind of. Um, in addition to the gardens... Georgian Court has maintained much of the original architecture, and a the campus is actually designated the Sister Mary Grace Burns Arboretum. Oh, see, this is making my like plant lover heart so happy. <laughs> There's also a lot of signs. I mean, I know you love a good sign, historic marker. Listen, I thought. I guess it was when we went to St. Augustine. I thought Doug was going to just like leave me on the street. I was going to have to because you wouldn't stop stopping. You were stopping while we were on a tour. We were on a structured <laughs> ghost tour and you kept stopping to read historic markers. But I mean, she didn't care. She was super nice. I liked her a lot. Yeah. Um, she was a theater student at Flagler. So it was it worked out really well. <laughs> Um, Georgian Court's estate was designated a National Historic Landmark for its architecture and association with the Goulds. The Goulds. Right. Kind of... Every time you say it, I'm just like, Gould. <laughs> um, the Sisters of Mercy founded um, Mount St. Mary College as a liberal arts school for women in 1908 in North Plainfield, New Jersey. Um, but then in 1924, the sisters purchased Georgian Court and moved the college there, renaming it Georgian Court College. Okay. Okay. And then in 2004, it became a full university. Okay. So it's a, I mean, that's a pretty standard trajectory for mm -hmm. a college that size. Yep. But to understand why we're talking about Georgian Court today, um, we need to know a little bit more about its original owners. Ooh. So George J. Gould was the son of Railroad Tycoon and Robert Baron J. Gould. So. You've never watched The Gilded Age, right? No. You've talked about it. You've yes. wanted me to watch it, and I just never did. Yes. So, Jay Gould was a one of these capital, you know, captains of industry, railroad tycoons, like the Vanderbilts. Okay. Um, like, we're talking, when Jay Gould died, his estate in 2022 dollars would have been worth several billion dollars. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah, we're talking, like, filthy rich disgusting could never could never wrap my head around it is the problem um but george j married actress Edith kingdon in 1885 
Okay. And the couple built their Georgian court um, estate as their summer estate. <laughs> so this is where they summered. They wintered in the city, I think, um, for themselves and their seven kids in 1899. Okay. Yep. We're going to be in the same time frame for some of ours. Interesting. Sorry. And very close together, actually. Yeah, they're not far apart. Um, the estate, which remains much as it did when it was in the care of the Goulds, is complete with a casino building, which in this context is more like a rumpus room, social space. Like, I know that rumpus room is a real thing, but just you saying it is too much. Yeah. So there's like tennis courts. And when I say tennis courts, it is the only institution of higher education in America with an a what's called a real tennis court oh so there is lawn tennis which is what most people know as tennis that's what i would call tennis most court of the time. tennis which is played indoors okay and it's a it is a weird it's, it's like minute differences okay um a bowling alley tennis and squash courts um a theater because edith was an actress so george J. built her a theater on the property edith gould Right? Edith Kingdon Gould. Okay. Um, I'll continue to think and see if I remember who that yeah. is. Uh, a swimming room, a swimming pool, and a ballroom. Um, the estate is surrounded by 152 acres of planned landscape and lush gardens. Sounds so fancy. Yeah. One of the gardens was Edith's personal rose garden. Me um, too. That she tended herself. Um, and it was considered one of her prized possessions and the thing she cherished most about Georgian court. She would spend lots of time tending to her garden while her husband was away on business. Okay. And here business means other women. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so around campus, um, there are these large marble flower urns throughout the gardens and throughout the estate. Okay. Um, supposedly, each urn on campus was given to Edith as a gift for every time she caught her husband with a mistress. <laughs> okay, I'm here for that. that I couldn't, that's a level of petty that I aspire to. Yep, I couldn't find an exact number, but I did find one account that said, from a student, that said they had counted over 100 of these urns on campus. <laughs> um. But if that's true, George had a thing for symbolism. 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 Because flower urns weren't the only evidence of his affairs. The estate gardens are populated with dozens. Dozens of what? Doubles, dozens of marble, bronze, and wrought iron statues. Okay. Um, life-size Greek gods and goddesses, including an absolutely massive, massive fountain featuring a larger-than-life chariot driven by Apollo. Recreations of statues from the gardens at Versailles, at the Vatican. Um, <laughs> this is just so funny to me. <laughs> a 15-foot-tall 17th-century marble fountain um, from a villa in southern France. Okay. And a wrought iron eagle atop a dragon originally commissioned by Emperor Wilhelm II. Wilhelm? Wilhelm II uh, for the Paris Exposition of 1900. Supposedly, each of these statues oh, no. was dedicated to one of George J.'s mistresses. Stop that. You stop that right now. God. <laughs> so, on 150-acre estate, where do you think George spent, went to spend time with all these women? Mm. Would you guess tunnels? 
Uh, no, absolutely not. I wouldn't. So, rumor is that there are catacombs and tunnels underneath most of campus so that Mr. Gould could sneak his mistresses around undetected. What? Which actually, for the time period, for a large estate, it wouldn't make sense for there to be tunnels between buildings. I mean, I guess so, but like, that's not... mm. That's not where you are going for your hookups. Yeah. So, so there are tunnels um, between the main mansion, the casino building, which now serves as that gymnasium, like rec space, um, and other various places. Currently, all the passages are sealed off, so no one can be hurt underneath the tunnels. Oh, no one can be hurt. Yeah. I heard. I heard that so no one can be hurt underneath. And I'm just like, well, that was probably the original intention. My dude. Um. <laughs> But um, perhaps Edith, I think it was your drip. <sighs> okay, we'll ignore my drip and keep going. Um, perhaps Edith happened upon a tunnel entrance and couldn't recover from the shock. Or maybe she came across another new statue of urn that she didn't know about yet, and the heartbreak, heartbreak became literal. Edith died of a cardiac event on the estate's golf course in 1921. I just... <sighs> okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna let it go and keep moving. Oh well, the tea is about to get hotter. Okay, because not even a year later, mm-hmm. George J. married Mistress Guinevere Janine Sinclair, and moved with their three children to England. Wait, with the three children from the previous marriage, or with the new wife? With the new wife. So they've they, been they, having kids since I think it was 1915. For like six or seven years before his wife died, he was fathering children with <laughs> Guinevere Janine Sinclair. That was a nice way to put it. He was fathering. <laughs> well, um, but we've talked multiple times about how drama, heartbreak, and other trauma often seem to lead to hauntings. Yeah. So if that's the case, I'd now like to present um, a couple of accounts that lead me to believe that Georgian Court University is haunted due to the upset that George J. Gould's womanizing caused poor dear Edith. Uh, okay. So. That's a lot of trauma to... Okay. Yep. Okay. So um, I want to thank weirdnewjersey.com. Um, that is a really popular... Right? website i've read because i think i did a new jersey college at one point but yeah uh, that is like a fantastic website mm-hmm. so they had a lot of information um it's interesting um this is a total aside we've come across several schools that like lean into their hauntings and their stories and schools that like seem to ignore it they're like please don't talk about it georgian court seems to be one that ignores it i could not find anything on their website about it oh my god okay um but so for the first account, the first phenomena, mm-hmm. um, in the early days of the college, Edith's Rose Garden was destroyed to make room for St. Joseph's Residence Hall. Always a good idea to make to just destroy something nature and stick a res hall on top of it. Right. Um, several students over the years have reported the distinct smell of roses throughout the building, even when there are no fresh flowers or perfumes of any type around. Mm-hmm. Um, disembodied footsteps and bumps are often, or also common occurrences, especially on the building's third floor. All right. I'm just saying, if I just randomly smell roses, that's... To me, that almost 
is the same thing as like, do you smell toast? Like, are you having a stroke? Right. But um, knowing that it was built on top of the rose garden that Edith used to distract herself. Yeah. I'm just, I don't know. That's, that's a lot. Yep. All right. So before I read the next um, part, I need to acknowledge that I found several accounts that describe almost identical events, um, but they all seem to happen independent of each other. So I'm not going to read each of them. I'm just going to read one of them. Okay. But there were multiple accounts of the same sort of phenomena event happening. And they all center around a massive white oak tree um, located on the former golf course. Okay. Um, So in this um, story, this was written by Ted. That's all we get. get Me too. (laughs) All right. I'm a longtime participant of a youth organization that holds a week-long camp at Georgian Court College each year. My job at this camp is to be the DJ and AV guy. With this job, I'm constantly moving the equipment around the whole campus, sometimes late at night. You always get that chilly feeling running down your back there, even when inside the buildings. I was not much of a believer in ghosts, but after what happened last year, I'm not so sure. While a professional DJ was hosting a dance for the camp, which can I just say if the camp hires you as the permanent DJ... And then they're like, oh, we're going to bring in a professional this time. That's a pretty big middle finger. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe you need a different job. Right. Um, But while a professional DJ was hosting a dance for the camp, one of my friends told me that some some of the participants wanted to talk to me outside. I didn't think much of it and went. Um, There was a group of about 10 people that wanted to go over to a haunted tree where a woman died in the early 1900s. Okay. I was hesitant but agreed to go. We looked it over by touching the bark and scraping at the ground, but nothing happened. Earlier that night, we had, a held a, we had held a ceremony for the kids in the field where this tree is located, but we forgot to blow out the candles that were in the field. Oh, that, I'm, I'm not really, I almost said I'm, I'm not really into like that kind of, st- I am, um, we all know, but like I know for a fact that in all those rituals and stuff, you have to. It's just like with a Ouija board, you have to say goodbye. You have to close the conversation. Oh, I think I don't think that's what that was. I don't think that's what the candles were originally for. Oh. I think the candles were for like some kind of like leadership recognition or something. Oh. Based on what I've read about. Yeah. Oops. Um <laughs> Yeah, they just forgot to clean up after the event, basically. Oh, okay. Um, the group decided to go over to the candles and see if anything happened. We waited there for about a minute, and all of a sudden we heard a woman's muffled scream in the woods. The freaky thing is that I had heard the same scream every year I was there, but I always just thought it was a cat or something. Yeah. We all gasped and took a step back, but then we started to see small balls of light in the woods. They were of all colors, blue, red, yellow, green, and pure white. We all thought of running, but we started to study the lights. (laughs) We rolled out fireflies because they stay relatively close to the ground and are of a lime green yellow color. These were of many colors and reached up to the top of the trees. By this time, other people came over to see what we were doing in the field. Um, 15 to 20 people were out there in total, and they immediately started to see the orbs as well. We were all mesmerized. Some adventurous people walked down to the edge of the woods while I stayed back to observe. As people walked to the woods, I noticed that the orbs intensified in the general vicinity. We're talking about 30 to 50 lights in a minute's time. Then they would calm down, but if the same person went down there again, there'd be no orbs. Almost like whatever was causing this knew that person already. Right, like they knew that they had seen it so that it wasn't worth it to do it again. Right, right. But if a new person walked down to the edge of the woods, the orbs intensified again. 
Okay. I finally went down to the tree line, observing the tops of the trees. As I walked down to the edge of the woods, the trees looked like there were Christmas lights on them. All okay. this, All this went on for about an hour. So that's what Ted tells us. Um, like I said before, there were other accounts of this very similar issue or things happening. Um, in one of the other accounts, the um, one of the orbs actually seemed to chase somebody immediately after that faint scream was heard. Like the orb moved towards them? Yeah, like someone was standing still and the orb was like 20 feet behind them and then t- 15 feet behind them, then 10 feet behind them, then 5 feet behind them. And then it shot like 40 feet up into the air. Nope. Immediately, no. So I just think it's really interesting that we know that Edith died somewhere on the golf course. Right. Um, where this tree is now. And if she had stumbled across something that caused her to have that oh, cardiac event, she probably so, would have screamed. So you think it's kind of like an echo? Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, that is the story of Georgian Court. Creepy. Um, but I got pictures. I want to see. Okay, wait. I, I clicked in here to look at these. Who is this in the second picture? Oh, I have to... Uh, Hold on, I have to open it because I closed it. Douglas. Where'd he go? Because it's like a really good black and white picture of well, him and a woman and two kids. Is that the I have, actress? I have figured out if you're rich, you get better pictures when you like from back then. So um that yeah, that first picture is uh George J. That is Edith, and that was two of the children. Um that was actually at George J's sister's wedding. Oh, uh, okay. I'm trying to see real quick. Uh, Edith. She was born in Brooklyn. Educated in England. She worked as a stage actress until. Until her marriage. Her marriage. And in 1908, she returned to acting, appearing in a one act play opposite Frederick Townsend Martin. Um. It was performed in the ballroom of the Plaza Hotel. Oh. And then Edith and George hired Bruce Price to build their home, which they called Georgian Court, the site of Georgian Court University. Okay, well, I was just trying to find more about her because she sounds so familiar. Yeah. Uh, the next picture is actually a picture of a, sh- of a show she put on in the theater at Georgian Court. It looks... Do you know what the show is? I don't. A stage, the stage of the theater at Georgian Court with Mrs. Gold as Isabel Warland in The Twilight of the Gods. I found the name of it by scrolling. Oh. <laughs> it got clipped off. Yeah. All right. Um, the next few pictures are of the gardens. Um, so this picture on the left here is the that wrought iron's eagle and dragon statue. That thing is terrifying. It is terrifying, and it is massive. That thing is terrifying. Like, and seeing it from the back and the one beside it Mm -hmm. is also, like, that looks like, um, oh my gosh, what does that look? Midnight Mass. You didn't watch it. Didn't watch it. Jeepers Creepers. It's that same style of, like, creepy thing like it it's very much midnight mass um the picture next to it is one of those flower urns which are gorgeous yeah 
Um, they're currently, according to the Arboretum's website, planning with geraniums. I was going to say that feels a little like underwhelming. Yeah, because like I do geraniums, and that's a Draco spike in the middle of it. Like, so what I read on that website, um, these are very like, classical gardens. So it's a lot of woody plants, a lot of statues, oh, a lot okay, of hedges. Um, not a lot of like flowering annuals or perennials. Okay. Yep. Um, the next picture is that, um, Apollo. Apollo. Yep. And that fountain is just massive. That's humongous. Yeah. I would run into that. Yeah. For no reason. Um, It's only turned on for special occasions. (laughs) Cheap. Um, next is another garden shot. Um, think this is the i want to say this is the formal garden so are those two considered like urns as well i don't know if those two are considered urns or not because they're very greek they're very greek they also look like like i feel like any of like the concrete garden stores oh yeah i mean i could go get these right now yeah but i feel like these are like the real deal ones yeah um, but it's very pretty. Again, statues. So many statues. Yes. Yeah, that statue um, there in the back is actually a replication of a fountain from the – or no, a sundial from the um, gardens at Versailles. Of course. Yep. And then the last picture is a picture of the oak, the white oak. Mm-mm. Yep. Um, this was the only like big picture I could find of it was on Weird New Jersey's doc- website. Um I found a couple of like very small ones. Like I said, Georgian Court does not have a lot to do with their history. To do with their history, it seems like. Um, so I couldn't find any other pictures of that tree, but it is a large, sprawling oak tree. I also think one thing that's interesting is any campus that is really pretty like this. Like mm-hmm. I've seen some college campuses that I was like, mm. oh no, this one's like elaborate anything this elaborate has some kind of weird system of hauntings and urban legends and stuff like that because there's no way not to well and also like anything with that you have like it's going to be old and old means history yes so many stories yep oh lord okay but there's also part of me the whole time that's like no it's what you get with new money Sir, I've heard you use that phrase now multiple times, just in the last like week or two. <laughs> New money always does. Oh Lord. Okay. Well, I'm gonna go up just a little bit further from New Jersey. Yeah, let's take a trip into the city. And we're actually going to talk about NYU or New York University. Um, so I need to say thank you again to different sources that I used. There was a, a listicle on online school center, 50 haunted colleges and campuses. You said multiple times. Yeah. So I just, that's where I got the initial like, oh, okay. I might want to read a little bit further. Um, there's an, <clears throat> excuse me, an article by Ricky Schlott titled secrets. Actually, I'm not going to read that title because that's going to reveal something that I don't want to tell you yet. Oh boy. Um, But it was published in the New York Post. Um, There is something published on NewYorkGhost.com by someone just called Lance (laughs) on the Brown Building. And then um, the Wikipedia pages for all of the places I'm going to talk about. So that's what I'm going to start us on. 
with this. Because while we're, yes, going to talk about some haunting parts of it, a lot of this today is less direct haunting and more the eerie feeling you're going to have entering any of these places. So talking about a creepy campus. This feels like a creepy campus. This is like, if you know all of this now and then you walk to NYU, Mm -hmm. you're going to feel creepy just being there. Creepy or like gross? Yes. Oh, just both. Bad combination. Okay. So New York University or NYU is a private research university in New York City. Duh. Um, chartered in 1831 by the New York State Legislature, uh, NYU was founded by a group of New Yorkers led by then Secretary of the Treasury, Albert Gallatin. Hey, that's who my hometown's name. I was about to say, isn't that who Gallatin's named but after? It, basically, anything that's um, Nick called Gallatin is him. Is named after him. Oh, my gosh. Gallatin County in Kentucky is named after him. Oh, I forget there's one in Kentucky because mm-hmm. I didn't grow up near that when I grew up near the one in Tennessee. <laughs> yep. And that's not my county. So. It's just a town. Although, if you call the um, U.S. Postal Service's like automated line to try to get the number for that post office, they pronounce it the Galatian Post Office in Galatian, Tennessee. Like that's not how that's spelled at all. <laughs> that doesn't make sense at all. But okay, <laughs> okay. So since the late 1970s, the central part of NYU has been uh, its Washington Square campus in the heart of Greenwich Village. So it took me a minute to figure out that Washington Square campus is really the campus. It's the main campus mm-hmm. um, because I well, and I've been there many, many times now, and I just didn't realize that that's what it was. Um, so uh, right in the uh, heart of Greenwich Village, the Was- Washington Square Arch is an unofficial symbol for NYU. And in 2007, NYU had held its commencement ceremonies in Washington Square Park. But because of renovations, uh, they actually moved it out to Yankee Stadium, and it's been there ever since. Interesting. I'm sorry, the original Yankee Stadium. Stadium. Oh, okay. They're having it there now. But suffice to say, Washington Square in general, mm-hmm. that is essentially campus. Like, that's what they call it, because it's right there. Everything butts up against the square. Um, okay. So, Albert Gallatin... Um, Secretary of Treasury under Thomas Jefferson and James Madison declared his intention to establish in this immense and fast-growing city a system of rational and practical education fitting and graciously open to all. Interesting coming from a white man in the 1800s, but whatever. Well, when he said all, he meant all, all white men. People that look like me. Yeah, all people that look, think, and act like me. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so he said, or there was a three day long literary and scientific convention held in city hall in 1830 and attended by over 100 delegates. And they debated the terms for a plan of a new university. These New Yorkers believed the city needed a university designed for young men who would be admitted based upon merit rather than birthright or social class. Because it's like, you know, you took like half a step forward. You know, you tried to move out of the class system, but instead of actually acknowledging the rest of it, you just said, we're going to go a little bit in the right direction. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So on April, April 18th, 1831, the institution would become NYU that would become NYU was established with the support of a group of prominent New York residents from the city's merchants, bankers, and traders. 
Albert Gallatin was elected as its first president. Hmm. I don't think I knew that about Albert Gallatin. Um, on April 21st, 1831, the new institution received its charter and was incorporated as <laughs> the University of the City of New York. That's a mouthful. It is a mouthful. Um, and that, that was declared by the New York State Legislature. Um, there are older documents that often refer to it by that name, but the university has been popularly known as New York University since that inception and was officially renamed in 1896. Okay. So they tried to give it this other name and it just didn't work. <laughs> now we go into some of the weirder stuff. Okay, so we've established a lot of that background. Yep. So what lies beneath that and a lot of this is directly from an article, that really good one that I didn't want to mm -hmm. give the name of. Um, what lies beneath that splendid, recently re-landscaped and renovated outdoor sanctuary, oh meaning boy. Washington Square Park, mm -hmm. is a bit more morbid. Ew. Uh, that was from research librarian Carmen... San Diego. Nigro, I think. Mm -hmm. N-I-G-R-O. Um, the that wrote that on a blog post for New York Public Library. So from 1797 to roughly 1820, the eastern two-thirds of Washington Square Park was a potter's field. Yay, I'm just staring at our little skull friend over there. Yep. Uh, where the bodies of poor and unidentified New Yorkers were unceremoniously dumped in mass graves. <laughs> Yay. Love that for us. Yeah. Them. Not us. Yeah, well. Hmm. So for just $4,500, New York City purchased the plot so impoverished locals could afford a decent spot to rest in peace. It, it makes it almost sound like a favor. Well, I mean. I mean, I get the, the concept. Yeah, because otherwise, like, they would have to, like, pay to be buried and. They Which, afford that. To me, that's a whole other issue. I have a problem it, with that. It's also a little self-serving because a lot of um, people in that situation would become the burden of the city. Yeah. And so the city would have to deal with it either way, which I don't know if you're talking about this. New York City still does. Have potter's fields like that? Uh, Deer Island is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I don't talk about that in here, but uh, and mainly because there's so much other stuff to hit on. Um, so Beauregard. Is he mad because we're down here? Mm, he probably hears something outside, or he hears you. Oh, my gosh. It's not even time for, like, the dinner antsiness. No. Okay, well, we'll keep going. So, um, although the city planned to bury just 5,000 bodies in the park. He hears something outside because he's growling, yeah. too. Gosh. Okay, so although the city planned to bury just 5,000 bodies in the park, they were forced to quadruple that capacity when four yellow fever epidemics ravaged New York in the summers of 1797, 1798, 1801, and 1803. Eek. Yeah, big eek. Um, so while the exact death tolls are lacking, thousands of locals are known to have succumbed to this horrific fate. Uh, the city wanted to to keep infected bodies as far away from the bustle of daily life as possible. Well, yeah. 
obviously. Corpse cart. <laughs> Gossip at the corpse cart. Well, like, like bring out your dead. <laughs> yeah. The echoclima, as they would have called it in, in Greek theater, where they just like wheeled the dead bodies off stage. Also, I'm really upset. I forgot to tell you a very funny part of my story. We'll have to come back to it. We will. Or it won't make sense. It won't. <laughs> okay. So, in 1799, a mandate was passed requiring all plague victims, no matter what their means, to be buried out of sight in the potter's field. So, it didn't matter your class or your social standing. You were going in the hole. You were going in the hole. Um, Which, at that time, you know, that part of the city was nothing but farmland. Mm -hmm. So, uh, New York Post founder Alexander Hamilton... There's irony there. Um, was less than pleased when he heard a potter's field was being set up near his country home in the area. He had several dozen neighbors. He and several dozen neighbors flooded the local council with petitions, complaints, and counter proposals against the move. So they really tried to fight this, and they even offered to buy another plot of land for the potter's field and gift it to the city. But their efforts were fruitless. They just continued to use the potter's field. Yeah. It's also very weird to think, like, granted, I've never been to New York, but isn't, like, this area, like, what would now be sort of, like, downtown? Um, It's just a little bit further down than Midtown. It's not, like, super, super but far down, like, but... It's still, like, the app. It's, like, the city. Yeah, yeah. No, this is, like, at this time, it's but not... It was but it was the country. <laughs> right. This is not... This would have been considered, like, moving uptown to the country uh but this yeah no this well, at, at I know this why I'm point thinking about that because you're thinking about the song in the play aren't you no because i've been playing so much spider-man oh my god in the map like actually greenwich is the next like section of the city i need to finish to finish yeah, yeah. i mean it's it's lower than midtown so it's definitely not that far up but it's not downtown downtown so it's not like wall street so i don't know how to explain it's somewhere between those two um so, overworked gravediggers stacked bodies on top of one another, and some claim they didn't even bury them deep enough. Probably not. Because this was just, there were so many bodies, they didn't know what to do with them. So, even after the park was filled way beyond its subterranean capacity, it continued to be a hellscape. The city wasn't just hauling in dead New Yorkers to be buried there, they also brought them there to die. I'm not dead yet. Yeah. Yeah. You'll be, you will be soon. So some believe the so-called Hangman's Elm, which is a 350-year-old tree near the northwestern entrance to the park, and I didn't get a picture of it. I'll have to pull it up. Um, was once used to execute criminals, and it's rumored that uh, Marquise de Lafayette, the Revolutionary War commander, hung 20 horseback robbers from its branches, like all at once. I would say no. <laughs> So locals claim that uh, uh, Lafayette can be seen to this day, dressed in 18th century garb, watching his victims swing from the elm, satisfied that justice was served. Eek. Now, that's also very widely disputed. A lot of people don't even think that that happened mm -hmm. at all, um, nor do they believe that the ghost sightings are there. But one hanging that did happen in the park, for sure, was at the gallows that were constructed where the near where the fountain sits in Washington Square Park today. So in 1818, a 19-year-old slave, Rose Butler, 
was executed for reportedly attempting to burn down her master's home while the family was sleeping. Which I would. Um, nobody was killed, uh, dam- and damage was done to just a few stairs in the kitchen. But nonetheless, Butler was still hanged for the crime and buried in that same potter's field. And to this day, some claim to see her in the park as well. So, uh, there's a quote here from a local ghost watcher that says, She is the last person to be hung in Washington Square, and she's been seen swinging in this breeze on a stormy night. Hmm. And they say that the reason ghosts exist and why they haunt people is because they died under very tragic, very awful situations, and this is the perfect place for that. All I gotta say is, if she did try to burn the house down, guess what that dude's burning now (laughs) i didn't know where you were going with that and it did not know go where i could have ever thought (laughs) anyway so in 1825 new york mayor philip hone decided that the declared that the former potter's field was a public park Okay. Um, The following year, it was rechristened Washington Square Park during a boisterous party celebrating the 50th anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. And eventually, the bodies below the surface were largely forgotten about. But they're still there. Because that's what we love to do, right? We just love to, like, just cover it up with something that looks nice, whitewash everything, and let's pretend that we did not just bury all these people in this potter's grave, and then cover them up. I mean, I'm glad they covered them up. Are you, though? I mean, don't want an open corpse pit. (laughs) So then in 1965, Con Edison maintenance workers sinking a shaft into the ground got a shock when they penetrated the roof of an underground chamber filled filled with around two dozen skeletons. Right. And eventually, the city called in archaeologists to dig up uh, the full truth of what lay underground. And they said, the question was, were there any graves left? And the answer was, yes, there were. So they've dug and they found so many graves, but they are largely kind of trying not to look for them. Well, yeah, because if you look for them, like you... Not like you have to deal with it then, but... Yeah, it's... Well, and it's a very complicated thing because it's a mixture now because of how big Washington Square Park and the NYU campus and all of that is. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the things that they found are actually... They look like graves that would have been for a slightly upper class and would have been likely burial sites from churches that were in the area at the time, oh, okay. which would have been like normal, quote-unquote, burial sites. Mm-hmm. But either way... There are so many bodies that are just sitting underneath, and they are estimate they estimate based on all the numbers that they can find that there are still around twenty thousand bodies under Washington Square Park and the NYU campus. I'm gonna try to figure out the fact that we're sitting technically underground right now, right <laughs> in a poured basement from the 1940s. Well, but, what is it? Is it like I remember the statistic at one point? It's like. Only 1% of all humans that have ever lived are alive currently. I didn't need that. I didn't need that. Why'd you have to do that? Oh, well. Um, are you Googling that statistic? I am. Well, while you Google, I have one more thing. I want oh, to talk 7%. About. 
seven nearly seven percent of um the total people that have ever lived on earth are alive right now are alive right now lord okay well i am gonna give you one more thing and i know it's gonna make my section a little long today but that's okay uh, because I couldn't do NYU and not talk about this because mm-hmm. there's one more place that is considered very haunted and very creepy. And that is the Brown Building, which is a, a now owned by NYU and is used as a space for them. So the NYU building used to be uh, a factory building in New York. The NYU building? Like, or the, Bra- a- the Brown Building, oh, sorry. Okay. Um, used to be... A factory. And it was home to the Triangle the Triangle Waste Company factory. Oh, I'm having a push flashback. You know what I'm ta- about to talk about, yeah. don't you? So the Triangle Waste Company factory occupied the 8th, 9th, and 10th floor of the 10-story Ash Building, which is what this building was known as first. Mm-hmm. It was on the northwest corner of Green Street and Washington Place, just east of Washington Square Park in the Greenwich Village neighborhood of New York City. Uh, under the ownership of Max Blank and Isaac Harris, the factory produced women's blouses known as shirt waists. And the factory normally employed about 500 workers, mostly young Italian and Jewish immigrant women and girls, who worked nine hours a day on weekdays plus seven hours on Saturdays, earning for their 52 hours of work between 7 and $12 a week. Corrected for inflation? Uh, I have the numbers from 2018 because it was in this article. Okay. Corrected for inflation, that would be the equivalent of around $191 to $327 a week-ish. Yeah, no, not enough. Um, and that is, it would mean like they were making $3.67 per hour up to $6.29 per hour give or take yeah no not worth it at all and still doesn't sound that far off from some wages that we've seen very recently not to be that person but <laughs> Ooh, you said the thing out loud i know i know <laughs> it just made me remember you know wait staff having to make four dollars and 25 cents an hour ish sometimes less than that and they're supposed to make the rest in tips that was like 213 depends on where you work oh okay and depends on how your your particular place is set up, but either way, that's ridiculous. Yeah, the, I think the minimum was the minimum wage for always is two thirteen. Yeah, most people do about four something, and then they, you know, it's a whole thing. But anyway, so that was what these people were making these women. So at approximately four forty p.m. on Saturday, March twenty fifth, nineteen eleven, as the workday was ending. A fire flared up on a scrap bin under one of the cutter's tables at the northeast corner of the 8th floor. The first fire alarm was sent at 4.45 p.m. by a passerby on Washington Place who saw smoke coming from the 8th floor. Both of the owners of the factory were in attendance and had invited their children to the factory on that afternoon. The fire marshal conducted, conducted, <laughs> concluded that the likely cause of the fire was the disposal of an un- unextinguished match or cigarette butt in a scrap bin containing two months' worth of accumulated cuttings. <sighs> Beneath the table, in the wooden bin, were hundreds of pounds of scraps left over from several thousand shirtwaists that had been cut at that table. 
The scraps piled up from the last time the bin was emptied, coupled with the hanging fabrics that surrounded it. The steel trim was the only thing that was not highly flammable in that bin. He. So although smoking was banned in the factory, cutters were known to sneak cigarettes, exhaling the smoke through their lapels to avoid detection. And I would too. <laughs> yeah, smoking kills. Yeah, but at this time, oh, being yeah. treated like this, yeah, I would smoke too. Um, a New York Times article suggested that the fire may have been started by the engines running the sewing machines, but that's never been fully proven mm-hmm. either way. But it's just, you know, a series of articles in Collier's noted a pattern of arson among certain sectors in the garment industry. Have you heard this sec- this conspiracy theory? Oh, yeah, yeah. So uh, there is a series of arson among sectors of the garment industry whenever their particular product fell out of fashion or had excess inventory in order to collect that insurance. Mm -hmm. The Insurance Monitor, a leading industry journal, observed that shirtwaists had recently fallen out of fashion and that insurance for manufacturers of them was fairly saturated with moral hazard. So although Blank and Harris were known for having had four previous suspicious fires at their companies... Arson was not suspected in the case. Mm -hmm. So I say all of that, talking about the cigarettes, talking about the sewing machines, whatever, just to say we don't have definitive proof because all of the research and the investigations at the time were being done by people who had a vested interest in not doing what should have been done. Right. Because even if the fire marshal was once said, oh, it was a cigarette, oh, it was a match, well be very easy if you're getting a big insurance payout to buy the fire marshal right if you're getting a kickback to just say it was unintentional something from a worker rather than Mm -hmm. you setting it (sighs) anyway so it gets worse um although the although the floor had a number of exits including (laughs) two freight elevators a fire escape and stairways down to green street and washington place Flames prevented workers from descending the Green Street stairway, and the door to the Washington Place stairway was locked to prevent theft by workers, as well as, do you know the answer? Um, To keep them from taking extra breaks. They kept the doors locked so they could keep up productivity. On their shirts that weren't selling. On their shirts that weren't selling. Um, so the locked doors also allowed managers to check the women's purses as they left and as they entered. I mean, that stuff still happens. Okay. It happens now, I think, in most places because of danger. As they're leaving? Well, not as they're leaving. Yeah. No, it still happens as they're leaving. Ugh. It's just gross. Um, so various historians have also... Uh, ascribed the exit doors being locked to managements wanting to keep union organizers uh, out due to the management's anti-union bias, which we know that part's true. Mm-hmm. Um, the foreman who held the stairway door key had already escaped by another route. The one person who could have unlocked the door ran away. So dozens of employees escaped uh, by the fire escaped the fire by going up the Green Street stairway to the roof, and other survivors were able to jam themselves into elevators while they continued to operate. But within three minutes, the Green Street stairway became unusable in both directions. 
Terrified employees crowded onto the single exterior fire escape, which city officials had allowed Ash to erect instead of the required third staircase. Um, a flimsy, poorly anchored iron structure that may have been broken before the fire even started. It soon twisted and collapsed from the heat and overload, spilling about 20 victims nearly 100 feet to their deaths on the concrete pavement below. Mm. The remainder waited until smoke and fire overcame them. The fire department quickly arrived, but was unable to stop the flames as their ladders were only long enough to reach as high as the seventh floor, which is not even where the fire was. The fallen bodies and victims also made it difficult for the fire department to even get close enough to the building. Um, the elevator operators, Joseph Cito and Gaspar Mortillaro, 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 that sounds right. Uh, saved many lives by traveling three times up to the ninth floor for passengers, but Martillo was eventually forced to give up when the rails of his elevator buckled under the heat. Some victims pried the elevator, elevator doors open and jumped into the empty shaft, trying to slide down the cables or land on top of the car. And the weight and impacts of these bodies warped the elevator car and made it impossible for Zito to make another attempt. <sighs> so William Gunn Shepard, a reporter at the tragedy would say, I learned a new sound that day, a sound more horrible than description can picture, the thud of a speeding, living body on a stone sidewalk. So if y'all don't think NYU is haunted, just keep listening. Ugh. So that's just... I. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can we move on? So the Brown Building uh, is currently owned by the New York Uni- by New York University. It is internally connected to the adjacent Silver Center and Waverly Buildings, and makes up the main block of NYU. So it now has, houses classrooms, study spaces, and research labs for the NYU Chemistry and Biology departments. Oh, so we're gonna put more flammable things. Hmm. So the ninth floor is considered to be the most haunted because that's where the most people died. Um, you have to be careful when you look in the tall rectangular mirror, which hangs across from the elevator. Students claim that it likes to reflect both the living and the dead. Why would they put a mirror there? Why would I just? Why would you do that in general? Um, they say you just might see a dead garment worker still in her early 1900s garb staring right back at you. And sometimes her reflection flickers as if it's being viewed through flames. Door handles are known to jiggle by themselves, for instance, perhaps because phantom workers are still trying to escape the inferno, and their footsteps are often heard running up and down the stairwells. Lectures and study sessions are also frequently interrupted by the cackle and crackle of ghostly flames. Yep, no, you're right. I feel creepy now. So now, and and I, and the thing is, I knew this, but I don't think I ever knew that it was that building. Yeah, I don't think I knew that NYU owned it. Now, a, I don't think I knew NYU owned it. B, I don't know that I really realized it was in New York. No, I knew or, it was in New York. Like, tear the effort down. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, and I know part of it. I'm sure is like, oh, it only happened on part of the building. I'm like, okay. Okay, but like, A, structurally, is that safe? Mm. I don't know. I mean, look at the way stuff was built back then versus now. It's But also, like, just now. I mean, even if it's not a creepy thing from a ghost standpoint, like a supernatural standpoint, it's just creepy because it is such a horrific event. Right. 
I mean, absolutely horrific. And you think, you know, I've, I've heard this story a million times. I've read about it. I've heard about it. Like, um, I think it was Karen Kilgariff did it on My Favorite Murder one time, like one episode. And I've heard it done so well and talked about so well. Mm-hmm. So what I just did is a very condensed version of it. Yeah. And I think we like everyone learns about it like in high school history. No. Oh, okay. They did not teach that in Kentucky schools. All right. Well, I also took AP US history. So maybe that's where I heard, got I it. also took AP US history. Oh. oh. I, I didn't have a very good teacher. <laughs> yeah. It was definitely... It's right in there with all the workers' rights and labor movement stuff. Yeah, and I think that that was kind of glossed over. Yeah, well, fair. Like, I had to read The Jungle in summer reading for that, so. Oh, God, yeah. So, yeah, it's it's wild. But that just tells me, and this is the thing. I was just in Washington Square Park a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. Like, if it was even a couple, yeah, month was, and a half ago. That was a little bit ago, but yeah. Yeah. Um, and didn't even think about this, did not even consider that that was that building. I know I passed right by it. I know I've walked by it a million times now thinking like as many times as I've gone up and down that area Mm -hmm. and I didn't realize it was right there. Yeah. And if I went to school there, oh my God. But it's just part of it. I don't like that response. There's something about that I don't like. (laughs) That's creepy. Yep. That's it. That's all I got. Oh, okay. but I have pictures, though. I was like, you do have pictures. Which I, I can already see. Like, So the first one's just the NYU building in Washington Square. Like, you can actually see this building. It's beautiful. Whatever. Um, it looks like a church castle. It does. <laughs> um, the jumbo of coffins that were found in 2015. Yeah. No. Don't like that. Yeah. Don't like that. Some of them are child-sized, too, by the way. <laughs> Great. Thanks for that. You're welcome. Um, More skeletal remains that were found during a water main excavation. And then the Brown Building circa 2011. It's very innocuous looking. Mm -hmm. It looks like every other building in New York. Right. The next one is... um, During the fire. During the fire. And you can see they're really struggling to get water up there. Mm -hmm. And then if you go to the next one... This is a newspaper photograph of an internal staircase from the building after the fire. So you can tell it was just, first of all, staircases at that time were built so badly. Well, like you can, A, see how small it is, but B, look how steep those stairs are. Right. You you know you would just like fall if you were trying to run down those. And you know every one of those women was in like in a heeled shoe. In a heeled shoe with a long petticoat of some kind. Like, cause this is, what year was this? 1911. I was like, can we not put factories on the top floor of buildings, please? Like, Because if you look at like 1911 women's fashion, all, okay, petticoat, maybe not necessarily, but. It was like a long dress. It's a very long dress all the way down. And you know also that they were wearing a very specific kind of undergarment that was really tight. And these weren't, they, they weren't wealthy. These women were not wealthy. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It just. Between dead bodies buried under this campus and this horrible, horrible, horrible event, I'm just like, well, yep. sorry, NYU. You got a really good reputation for some things and a really bad one for others. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Anyway, I'm done. Leave me be. (laughs) Put a fork in you. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Please do.
you have anything else to share? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I completely forgot about this. Um, so I talked about in my story how Edith died in 1921. George J. remarried in 1922. Right. right. Um, I'm not going to remember off the top of my head what year he died. It wasn't long. It was like 1929, maybe. Okay. Do you know how he died? This is so good. Oh no! How this is so good? This is so good. Wait, no, I have to look it up now. No, you want to be specific now? Google, 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 Google. Wikipedia. That had the same energy as Activia. <laughs> yep. So, um, George A. Gould died due to a pharaoh's curse. I'm sorry, huh? How do they know that? Because he died. Of, he officially de- died of a pneumonia. Okay. Oh, it was much sooner than I thought it was. May 16th, 1923. Okay, not my birthday. <laughs> um, But he died on the French Riviera. Okay. Um, On vacation. Okay. It's not on this. It's not on Wikipedia. But if I swear I read it somewhere, he was playing golf. So he had recover he was recovering but um he had the fever and that he caught in Egypt while visiting the tomb of Tutankhamun. Okay, so King Tut killed him. Great. Awesome. <laughs> just we love it. King Tut and Edith teaming up. Oh, just like immediately. <laughs> Okay, that's enough of this. Say goodbye, Doug. Goodbye, Doug. Okay, bye, all. Bye. (laughs)